1: That's why we created Clorox Fabric Sanitizers to freshen up your clothes between washes, pre-treat extra stinky laundry, and make sure every last odor comes out in the wash. Clorox Fabric Sanitizers take care of all that and eliminate 99% of odor-causing bacteria. Plus, they're bleach-free and safe for all colors and fabrics. When it counts, trust Clorox. At Freedom Mortgage, freedom means helping veterans achieve their home financing goals. Whatever freedom means to you, Freedom Mortgage has custom loan options to meet your needs, making home financing a custom fit. That's freedom. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, MLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333. Licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing. Equal housing opportunity what's up everybody it's your boy b scott with the philadelphia eagles i just want to thank you all for tuning in don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating fly eagles fly
0: Thank you for tuning in to Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. Wherever you're listening, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, we greatly appreciate it. I'm your co-host, Connor Miles. With me now is former Eagles offensive lineman Julian Vondervelte. He wants to give us a little insight on his NFL career, has experience with Doug Peterson, Andy Reid, and Philadelphia's famous most loved head coach of all time chip Kelly. we're gonna get into it with him real quick. Join thanks for joining the show, my man.
2: my pleasure i don't I don't know if you're joking or not because honestly, the way that Philadelphia Eagles fans show their love and their hate for for the Eagles seems pretty pretty analogous to me, man. like there's not a
0: whole lot of difference <laughs> uh, yeah, there, yeah, I can agree with that there is a bit It's the brotherly love, man that's what we're there's all about so much brotherly love that love hurts sometimes. I'll tell you what oh boy. I bet, because, like I said off the air to you, I just remember every day, because most of us Eagles fans have the Eagles notifications turned on on Twitter, and they always <laughs> announce the roster news, every every tweet. And your name is all over their ads. Uh, Julian Vontavelli signed, Julian Vonderbelli cut, Julian Vonderbelli signed, brought back. Uh, the Crazy, like, I can only imagine what the blow you love comments were underneath those tweets were at that time.
2: I was just happy to, to be back from time to time. It was... Oh, uh, me
0: too. I'm going to be an NFL player. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: it's it's a tumultuous time in your life, but at the same time, like, you got to think there's a reason they keep bringing me back, right? That was that was always the underlying thought was, well, as long as I'm not gone for good, there's always, you know, a chance of sticking it out, and if, if I wasn't bringing something to the team, they wouldn't bring me back at all, right? The NFL's a business first, um, and if you're not bringing anything to that business, then, uh, then they have no reason to keep you. Um, so I was happy to to be coming back, uh, you know, to Philadelphia so often, and I'd uh, really come to come to love the city and the uh, you know and the fan base there, and uh, you know to know that I'm uh, that uh, that I was able to bring something to uh, the Eagles, um, you know, even if it was just a you know an NFL no- record number of transactions over the course of a couple seasons, uh, you know, it makes
0: me feel good. Well, you should, I mean, not only that, you have good pedigree, Iowa. We all know how great offensive linemen are from Iowa, so. Let's just get right into it, though. So, your rookie year, you come into the Eagles, fifth-round pick. They have a quarterback coach in Doug Peterson, who nobody thinks of, highly of. Nobody really knows who Doug Peterson is at this point in his uh, Philadelphia tenure. What kind of coach was he back then? And are you surprised now that he's a Super Bowl winning head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles? Because, like, literally no one saw that coming.
2: I think he's the same, He was the same kind of coach back then that he is now. Uh, he's the kind of guy uh, who's who's a little bit more loose, uh, right? He's not so uptight. Uh, he's not so in your face, uh, but he's willing to let the players be players. He's willing to let them kind of make uh, you know make decisions sometimes that uh, that they think are best for the team. Uh, you know, he understands that the guys on the on the field, experiencing the the game, and uh, you know, getting their hands dirty are the ones uh, who have the clearest perspective of what's working and what's not working. Um, and it might seem sometimes like maybe that makes him a little bit aloof or like he doesn't really have control of the situation, but when you got guys who are playing in the NFL and they've been playing longer than you've been, you know, a coach at all, uh, sometimes you got to let that experience come out. And you got to let those guys uh, do what they do best and just go out and play football.
0: I, I mean, it's just from him going, to, especially during the Chip Kelly era where he got hired and nobody thought anything of him to being really the first head coach in Philadelphia Eagles history to hold up a Lombardi trophy, none of us saw that coming. So it, 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 it's great to hear from you and your perspective on him as a coach because I, I guarantee he's the same way now, and he was back then too. But during your time here, they did have Chip Kelly, and the whole – Chip Kelly was a polarizing figure in Philadelphia. The new offense he was bringing in, everybody was in awe of him as soon as he walked in the doors at Lincoln Financial Field and Novacare Complex, the – there has to be what? Can you just like go into detail, like huge the the huge differences between him and Doug because one worked when nobody expected it to, and one didn't when everybody expected it to. So, just give your insight on that real quick.
2: I, I think he had a couple of different factors there that really played uh, heavily into you know Doug's success versus uh, versus chips. Um, part of it's the expectation. There is always. Uh, you know, some added pressure when you come into a situation, the expectations are super high. Uh, And with, with Chip, I think really what it came down to, um, you know, the difference between Chip and Doug is, is trust. Uh, I know that a lot of people uh, think that it was Chip's ego. And at one point in time, uh, you know, that was uh, something that I also espoused was it seemed like Chip was the kind of guy who thought that, uh, that all of his ideas were the best ideas and that nobody else's, uh you know ideas could could hold a candle to it um but that's i don't really think looking back at it that that was really his ego i think it was a trust thing i think that if you look at the difference between the two of them uh you know you go back to the clip everybody's favorite philadelphia eagles clip of all time now philly philly right
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you know nick coming off the sideline and doug's got something in his brain and biggest game of the season and uh and what does he do nick comes over and gives him a suggestion hey do you want to run this play that you know, we, it has probably, I think we all know now, what, like never worked in practice once, uh, right. you know, <laughs> they've been practicing it for two weeks or whatever. Uh, and and what does Doug do? Yeah, sure. Why the hell not? Let's let's do it. It sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, whereas with Chip, I mean, he didn't even trust his own players to, to hydrate properly. I don't know if everybody outside of the complex knows uh, about the, the whole pee testing thing, but I mean Chip was a the micromanager of micromanagers down to having every single player on the roster uh, take hydration, like urine hydration tests uh, every
0: single morning. Oh, every single morning. So every single morning. Okay, so there is report I've I've heard that he did do that. I did not hear every single morning, I did not hear it to be that extent. That's that's pretty damning. I mean, that that goes into his ego a, a little bit, you would think. If he, if he can't even trust his own players to stay hydrated properly, how can you run an organization?
2: Well, that's kind of what I mean is I don't – like, I don't know that – like, he's he, – you don't get me wrong. He's not in there personally, like, pee testing Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear and say piss or whatever on a podcast, but I don't know. Okay. If, I don't know if he's in there. It's Philadelphia. People aren't going to give a shit. Um, <laughs> i don't you know he's not in there possessed players every morning himself um but when i talk about like ego versus versus trust uh i spent two months in tampa uh my second year in the league
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: with greg Ciano, who was by far the worst coach uh that i have ever uh, worked under in my tenure uh he had an ego problem right
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: chip didn't necessarily it wasn't so much about his ego it wasn't that he uh thought so much more highly of himself he was so obsessed with the idea of getting the absolute best out of every single player that like the p testing thing is one thing right this is a microcosm for the chip kelly era in philadelphia the fact that you had guys who were you know five, 10-year NFL vets, Jason Peters and, and, you know, and Evan and, and all these different guys and, you know, uh, LaShawn and, uh, you know, Brent Selleck and Todd Harriman. You had these dudes who had been playing in the NFL longer than Chip had been a head coach, not just in the NFL, but even at the college level. Mm-hmm. And to, to not trust those guys to take care of their bodies In a way that they could go out and play at the highest level that started, I think, to erode kind of the 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 feeling that the players uh, had that they had any autonomy. Uh, And when you're dealing with, you know, these aren't college kids, right? These aren't student athletes. These are professionals and these are, you know, these are grown ass men. And when you start making trying to make grown men feel like, they don't have autonomy over their own bodies. Like, they don't know how to take care of themselves. They feel like they're being treated like children. Uh, and and that was not going to fly on, on any NFL roster, much less one as, uh, you know, as temperamental
0: uh, and fiery as the Eagles. So uh, that's just, yeah, that's wild to me. Because the thing with Chip that it looked like from the outside looking in, especially when he got in control of the personnel, was – he always valued quantity over quality. He thought that he can get the most out of each player, like you said earlier. When he got rid of Deshaun Jackson, complete complete shock in Philadelphia. Uh, I know that they were talking about trading him, but they, he just flat out released him. I know the gang tie rumors and all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that because I think it's complete BS. But did you, when you in that locker room, did you feel power shift? Did you feel like okay, th- I mean, this is Chip's team, like? We, we have to comply and hope that he can, he has a vision with this.
2: Absolutely not. That's, and I think that's the big difference between college football and the NFL. Uh, you had a couple of different things. There were some schematic things that, uh, you know, the chips offense, uh, you know, did differently in NFL, in the NFL than they did in college. Right. And then in the college world, he could yell at the refs and they would move faster. Right. They would set the ball faster. He could get more plays in, in the NFL. If the refs weren't moving as fast as he wanted and he started hollering at them, they'd just stand over the ball and wait until he got done. Like you could, he couldn't exercise the same amount of control over the tempo of the game in the NFL that he could in the college world. Very, very similar to, uh, you know, in the college world, if you have, play, or if you, if your coach tells you to do something, you do it. Right, you're a new person. You're learning the game. Even the guys who are who are fifth year seniors or who are starters and all Americans, the best guys, do what the coach asks them to do at all times. I always remember the the the. There were a lot of different moments in probably the second year, Chip's second year, more than anything, when you could feel him losing control of the team. The first time I really wasn't sure that he was that this was going to work out, that the Chip Kelly experiment was going to work was actually like the second or third workout that we had had a strength and conditioning staff from nebraska great dudes don't get me wrong great guys knew what they were doing super smart uh the sports science that he brought into that philadelphia locker room and some of the things that he brought in offensively uh and in terms of uh optimizing player performance uh were copied and are still used in the nfl to this day there were some very revolutionary things that he did But that, it was like the second or third workout they were putting us through, and it was a college workout, right? It was a, you're 18 years old, you've got fresh legs, uh, you know, you've never, you know, you haven't taken a thousand hits. Like, we expect you to be able to grind this shit, uh, you know, yourself into the dust sort of workout. And probably halfway through it, Jason Kelsey just had a fucking meltdown. Just, I mean, middle of the workout. So we're in the bubble, and he's star the outdoor facility, the indoor facility, and he just stops, starts yelling at the strength staff about how we're not college freshmen, how this is this is kitty bullshit. You know, can't believe you're treating us like this. this you know, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to stand here and be treated like I'm some goddamn college freshman who doesn't know what he's supposed to do, and storms out of the place. And It was just, and everyone just kind of stopped, and that was the end of the workout. And it was like we're not college guys like he's he's not wrong right you're talking to one of the best centers in the nfl one of the most athletic dude's one of the hardest workers i have ever met in my entire life and for him to have that kind of a meltdown you just kind of felt like you know not so sure that that's the formula that's going to work for everyone and over the course of time it showed that Oh, I lose you. No, uh, Can you still hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead.
2: There we go. Yeah, go that was that was that was the you know that was one of those moments where you just kind of feel like I don't you know I don't know if the experiment's really working. It was very early on. Now things got better after that for a little bit, uh, but uh, sooner or later that sort of thing starts to creep in again and again and again. And, you know, the Deshaun stuff, stuff with, uh, you know, that would happen in the practice facility, the feelings of players, uh, you know, when the day before the game, like the, the, the Chip Kelly model included a soft workout, what you would normally do the day before the game, you would do two days before. And then the day before the game, we would go out and we didn't hit, we didn't put pads on or anything, but we would run like 40 or 50 plays on air. And to put that kind of stress on dude's legs uh, you know, not young kids, but, you know, men, old, Some in some cases, old men in the case, like in terms of NFL years mm-hmm. to run, I don't know, 200 plays, 200 plus uh, plays in practice throughout the week, and then come out the day before a game and run 40 plays full speed uh, on air just would burn guys out. And You know, dudes would complain about it. Dudes would talk about how, you know, by the second half of a game, they felt like they had already played three games that week because we'd run that number of plays. Um, But it was more about quantity than quality when it came to
0: Chip. So just because you were in the locker room when this all went down, I just want to hit on this real quick and see if you have any thoughts on this. Was there any animosity that you ever sensed or saw between Lashawn McCoy and Chip Kelly?
2: Uh, between Shady and Chip, I don't think yeah. I saw anything. I think it was all done behind closed doors.
0: Right. That It did sound like more media-driven to make sense of, like, why Chip Kelly randomly decided to trade the best fr- running back in franchise history out of nowhere because none of us saw that coming one either. Uh, just, just so many rumors that came out of that era. But to move on to another subject I want to hit on with you because you did probably have a ton of experience with him during his rookie year, and – working with him in practice, what was it like to see Nick Foles win a Super Bowl? Were you surprised? Because, I mean, you've been in, around him in the huddle a lot. You have you, a lot of experience with him. Was that, the, was that the type of quarterback that you thought from when you first saw him, thinking like, hey, this guy could be a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback someday?
2: Yeah, Nick's, Nick's the greatest. I, I love that dude to death. He's exactly the same way no matter what time of day you catch him or, or where he is. Mm -hmm. I had played against Nick, uh, you know, once, once or twice in college. Um, And then, uh, of course, in Philadelphia, he was, he started out as the backup quarterback when I was the backup center. Uh, So we spent a lot of time with his hand on my balls uh, under center. And uh, so you got to, you know, we were locker neighbors. I got to know the guy really well. Uh, And he's just, he's the most legitimate dude in terms of his character and his work ethic and the way that he approaches life and football, what you see is what you get all the time. And so I don't know that I ever expected him to be a, you know, Super Bowl MVP, uh, you know, quarterback, uh, especially in the day and age when the pocket quarterback is kind of, uh, you know, starting to, to fall to the wayside. You almost mm-hmm. have to have, uh, you know, a mobile uh, presence uh, under center. Uh, to run most of the offenses that exist nowadays. Uh, But he's an old-school pocket-passing kind of quarterback, and to see him win a Super Bowl, it may have been unexpected, but, man, was it satisfying because he's the kind of guy that you want to win a Super Bowl. Like him and John Dorenbos are like those types of people where you go, Mm -hmm. man, I just want the best stuff in life for these guys. Uh, So for him to get it, that's spectacular.
0: I mean, and you would know really personally well how – the grind from where Doug and him both started from since Doug was the quarterback coach and fulls a rookie and you're the back of center dealing with those guys hands on most of the time, like you just said. So, I mean, from an outside perspective, from you watching that Super Bowl, you're probably like, these are my guys.
1: Oh, like, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. You, you feel a connection to that. Like when, you know, you, you see Nick falls hold up a trophy and you go, man, those hands have been on my taint so <laughs> freaking much. Like, it almost feels like I'm holding the, the you know, the, the Super Bowl trophy. But just, you know, you, one thing that stays is your connection uh, to those guys. You know, we may not talk, uh, you know, so much anymore. We may not have a whole lot of contact. Uh, but when you, are, when you spend that kind of time in those stressful days and weeks and months and go through camp and go through seasons and go through workouts with those dudes, you feel a connection to them and their success. Uh, you know, it's it's great to see people like that win. You want to see those guys win,
0: absolutely. And Andy Reid too, the head coach that drafted you, just won mm-hmm. the Super Bowl last season. That, that felt great for you too. It felt yeah, great for the city
2: of Philadelphia. He finally, a big Reid finally got one. That was great for him. I mean, he's because he's the he's a very similar dude, right? He there's no hiding uh, who Andy Reid is. Uh, he is the same the same guy that you see. Uh, on the sidelines, the same guy that you see in, uh, in like behind the scenes footage and stuff like that. Like he's, it's, it's just Andy. He's, you know, he probably went home after that Super Bowl and, and had himself a cheeseburger. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what he is. It's a simple, he's a simple guy with an incredibly complex football mind. Uh, but the kind of person that he is, that's necessarily the kind of, you know, the, you, you step away from football and just see the person that he is. Uh, and he's a spectacular individual, Uh and you, you you do. You kind of feel good. I'm sure the whole city of Philadelphia was rooting for him in that Super Bowl. And yeah, sure, he ain't in Philly anymore, but, man, he gave Philly some great years.
0: Oh, no, yeah, we're super and, appreciative of Andy Reid here. And yeah. he, he gave him Doug Peterson. If it's not for Andy Reid, there's no Doug Peterson. So. <laughs> That's true. He did give me that, too. But – a lot of people don't really know, From at least for, they know him from a fan perspective for the press conferences. When Howie Roseman lost his job and got really tarnished to the end of the building and Chip Kelly had full control, did, I, I can't imagine going into a building where you know your two head bosses are on different paths. I, I can't even imagine how that is. But just from a player's perspective – how is your, what is your view on Howie Roseman? How did, how did you get a feel for him, playing for him? And what was, what was going through your head during that time when the power struggle was pretty going on during, in the 2015 offseason?
2: Well, uh, for me, I like Howie. Um, I like uh, everybody who was a part of the, the team that drafted me, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I would too, yeah. Like, those hey, are the first your but, That's your first struggle. Yeah. Those are, the, those are the first guys you talk to. Those are the first guys that you feel like really believe in you and are willing to give you a shot at that level. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never have anything but love uh, for that entire staff and the guys that are that are there, um, you know, all the way from from Howie up to Howard Mudd and back to Andy and all the way around that staff. And so for, for me, when you do – I mean, we're aware of the power struggle, right? That's the first thing. The, the players are, uh, you know, we're, we're not stupid. A lot of players are, you know, are uh, indent or are a part of the fabric of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, understand how it works. You know, the internal politics, the money, the external politics, like the, uh, you know, the different power struggles and things that happen in the organization. So we're very much aware of it while it's happening. Uh, for me, I was never in a position where I had, uh, I had any influence, or anyone really gave a crap about my opinion of it. Uh, my best bet was always to do what I did best, which was to put my head down, shut my mouth and just work harder. Uh, so that was the only thing that I really thought about during that time was I'm not picking sides. I'm not getting involved. I am going to shut up and work and hope that at the end of it, i still got a job that somebody still likes me enough to keep me around. Um, cause until you make big money, until you're that established starter, the littlest thing gets you, you know, kicks you out of that building. Uh, so I was not willing to make those mistakes.
1: Boy, but
0: now you can look back on it now and be like, that was some crazy epic shit right there. It uh, oh, was
2: nutso. Yeah, to witness it from from the inside was bananas. Uh, but that's just because, like, every, you know, you would get both sides of it. You would see what was happening inside. You'd get the, you'd feel the the tension in the locker room and in the hallways and stuff. You'd kind of hear the guys that were a little bit more well-connected and, you know, knew the front office people a little bit better. And uh, the higher-ups, you know, you'd hear them talking about what was going to happen, this person, that person, and who was going to go where and who was going to do what. But then you'd leave the building and you'd get the media perspective and the fan perspective, which was every bit as insane as what was actually going on inside. So it was two different perspectives, but an equal amount uh, of insanity.
0: Right, it felt like insane. I can remember that stuff like it was yesterday. And then you had, I just to wrap it up real quick, and then we'll keep, we'll move on. You have a running back that comes into the to the team who very well known from Dallas, uh, stealing from your rival. And it just seemed like it went to shit the minute he went into training camp and wasn't practicing. And Malcolm Jenkins gets in that chair to sit down like could could you believe that too like here's a free agent we just brought in he wanted to come here he got paid the big bucks and then he he's he, that's the performance he gives us that's what he shows us he gets this much falls out of our with our head coach this quickly and doesn't really try that much anymore his effort's incredibly questionable like for a player that's a backup like you I'm trying to put myself in your shoes seeing a guy who was a starter who the team coveted a lot and paid him a ton of money and for him to just not care and just lay down like that, that would infuriate me.
2: Well, the NFL is a weird place. The the longer you you get or the longer you spend in it, the the weirder it gets, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a place where you've got a mix of dudes who are borderline superheroes, right? Who run faster, jump higher, hit harder, throw farther, uh, etcetera than anyone else on the planet elite top level athletes the best in the world uh you know smoking each other every day in you know in full pads you get those people and then you also get dudes who you would think have no business being at playing at the highest level in sports uh you know maybe they're not athletically as gifted maybe they don't you know you would think uh, they're, you know, as dumb as a box of rocks, but they've ingratiated themselves with a coach or with a staff, or there's something about them that keeps them, uh, you know, around these teams. And, and there's everything in between that. So when you have guys who are extremely physically gifted and, you know, and starters and getting paid all this money, and you don't know why, when there are people who are, not as athletically talented but who work hard and who are just genuinely good people uh and some of them you know some of them make it six months some of them make it five years but everywhere in between it's like it is infuriating to to have guys who have so much potential seemingly not live up to it when there are people who are who would who would give anything just a pad up for a Sunday. Uh, and guys who are scraping by on every on every fiber of their being, uh, just to hang out in the in the locker room, basically like those those two things create uh, an intense dichotomy that really uh, you know puts when you're in the middle of all of that, uh, you feel bad for one side you you know you're jealous of the other, but at the same time, all you can really worry about at the end of the day is yourself because if that's one thing that the NFL is one reason why I. I don't miss it is because it is very individualistic like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You form, you got guys who form their cliques. Some people, uh, you know, some cliques are bigger, some are smaller, uh, you know, but it's hard to form friendships. It's hard to form relationships because everyone can be gone in the blink of an eye. And if you don't worry about yourself, you will be next, especially if you are not uh, as physically gifted. I'm just a fat nerd from Iowa, man. I, I don't know how, I, I, you know, worked my way into that position, but, you know, to make it to the point that my body literally gave out, um, you know, just trying to, just trying to hang with some of those guys. Uh, You know, I, I feel that frustration when there's, uh, you know, to see people of immense talent, not put that talent to its maximum potential.
0: I hear you. I mean, that's the truth. That's just a God. That's just your answer right there. And God, getting right to feel that way. And, that is that's the that's the best approach you can definitely have as a professional athlete. So I agree with you completely. It's just from a fan perspective, it's crazy because you had a player on the team that is going to your owner crying, complaining about the role on the team when he wasn't even playing that well to begin with. It's it was just a clusterfuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> what the shit, I mean, Deshaun Jackson randomly cut, everybody's like, okay. I mean, it's chip we trust. Sean traded for Kiko Alonso, who okay, Chip we trust, I guess. And then boom, the whole stuff just blows. I mean, trades for Sam Bradford was okay for. I mean, it was he had a decent year, I guess. It wasn't the best, but it just so much in that time, in that little time frame, so much happened to the point where the Eagles are Super Bowl champions now. You can make a thirty for thirty about it. <laughs> Somebody
2: probably will at some point in time. The the Andy Reid to Chip Kelly to Doug Peterson, like. The connection, the disconnect, and then you know the prodigal son in Doug coming back to uh, the city of brotherly love to win the Super Bowl that Andy never could. Like that, in and of itself, is a tremendous storyline. It really is. It's like WWE
0: stuff. Incredible. But so I'm glad you brought up Howard Bud because I was going to mention him as well in this because (laughs) Howard Bud was such a. He's such a polarizing figure as an offensive line coach. Usually when you bring up offensive line coaches, you hear Bill Callahan and then you hear Howard Mudd. His name is always in that. So you went from him as a great, well-known coach to Jeff Stoutland, nobody knew at the time, and now is a huge popular figure in Philadelphia for a great – one of the best offensive line coaches in the league, in my opinion. What was it like to have those two as coaches? Because, I mean, completely – I would – from from my fan perspective, looking from outside looking in, they they seem like two incredibly different personalities.
2: Oh they are. No, they're they're about as they as, as opposite as you can get. Um and I came I came from Iowa, which is a Joe Moore zone scheme, uh, you know, flat setting system, or at least was uh, more so at the time. Now that we have Temple Assic there, things are kinda of changing a little bit. But for the most part like that was the origin that I came from. So to go from that to Howard Mudd, who like if 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 Joe Moore is the uh, <laughs> this is gonna be a really weird analogy, so so hang hang with me here. All right, oh, I got you. If Joe Moore is the Bob Ross of uh, of offensive line, then Howard Mudd is uh, is his doppelganger. Uh, he's like the opposite uh, of of that. Like you know, Joe Moore, very well known, everybody knows. Uh, you know, he's got an award named after him now in college football, number one offensive line in the in the uh, in the country. Gets the, the Joe Moore Award. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Howard Mudd, who who knew Joe, right, but mm-hmm. did not believe in that system at all. Like, how, Hall of Fame offensive line coach, but does it a completely different way. Um, the So to for me to switch systems, to switch styles, was very different. And then you get Jeff Stallon, who is a little bit more Joe Moore, um mm-hmm. uh, he's i think i think he's a little bit more of a power guy uh but he's got a very different style in terms of his coaching in terms of his set mechanics for me when it comes to offensive line it always comes back down to the technique and the mechanics because those were the things that i that i had to obsess about uh to be successful being a smaller guy i had to do all of the technical stuff right so to so for me when i think of the two of them I, I am always drawn back to the differences in their philosophies as coaches, less so than their differences, uh, or more so than their differences as people. Don't get me wrong. Very different people. But at the same time, uh, offensive line coaches tend to kind of fall into, a, uh, into a, a, a type, if you will, to deal with offensive linemen, to have that five moving as one mentality that, uh, you know, that up first, first in the, in, uh, on the practice field, last off the practice field, like successful offensive line coaches all have kind of a similar philosophy in that regard, but the technique differences between them were astounding. Um, and you know, stout came from what Alabama won a couple of national championships. Mm-hmm. So we knew he was going to be, he was going to be great. Howard Mudd. I knew nothing about the guy. Uh, I knew that he was a hall of fame coach and that we paid him a ton of money to come out of retirement to play for Philadelphia. Liked him. He liked me. And that was good. Uh, For me, but at the same time, I think that, you know, if I had to pick one of them, uh, you know, to emulate uh, moving forward, I would I would pick Stout. I think his system just works better. Um, And I'm in agreement with you in terms of his, uh, you know, his level of success and his and what he's doing uh, in the NFL. I'd say he's probably in the top echelon uh, of offensive line coaches. He'll probably spend the rest of his career, uh, you know, coaching offensive lines in the NFL, hopefully in Philadelphia, because he's really, really good at it.
0: He is absolutely great, and I, I like to hit on that because you are a smaller center. So was Jason Kelsey. So really, he went through the same like practice regimen you had to get to at least in this terms of mindset to become what he is now. I, I think it's just incredible because again, he was a six round graphic. Nobody expected Jason Kelsey to become the player he is today, especially for the size that he is. I think most uh, the reason why he won the six rounds because of his size. What about him? Does it really like? Did that surprise you at all, that he became such a great uh, great player right off the gap, really, for the Eagles? I think that for for Kelsey, what
2: differentiates him is his intensity. His mm. intensity and his intelligence. Um, you know, he's he's a smaller center, uh, true. Your center's usually, you know, the smallest offensive lineman on the field. And, um, and I think that uh, for him uh you know part of his drop uh was i forget if he had like he got like mono or he or he had a hernia or something his senior year in college um that that really hurt his draft stock uh but he's one of the most intense individuals on and off the field uh that you'll ever meet like we went to live concerts together and he was the dude you know who'd shove his way into the middle uh of a crowd and just be you know rave dancing in the you know with like glow sticks and stuff uh uh, just going absolutely bananas. And then you get him on the practice field. He's the same kind of guy. He's out there hooting and hollering, hyping everybody up and yelling all the time. And, uh, you know, you go into the workout and he's, uh, you know, screaming while he's moving crazy amounts of weight, uh, you know, and, and just and stays amped all the time. Uh, and but at the same time, his football brain uh, is incredible. I mean, I remember at one point in time he knew the he knew Chip's offense better, I think, than Chip did. I think that he at one point in time had such a firm understanding of Chip Kelly's system that he could have there, like he could have run that offense entirely by himself uh, without any input. And part of that was the way that we were coached, right? Chip's system relies on the center to identify the front to make the calls. Uh, as far as identifying the linebackers to make adjustments if there need to be protection adjustments, sometimes to call audibles if we see things that, like, the quarterback doesn't. Like, we do all that stuff because we get set first and chips the quarterback to be freed up to make his reads instead of having to think about the defense. So we had to, as centers like me and Kelsey and Molk and, and, and uh, the other guys that played center, Josh Andrews, we had to know that offense well enough to as well as the coaches did but kelsey knew it better and just his ability to process information quickly and accurately uh i mean it was rain man stuff just the the extent of his knowledge and his ability to utilize that knowledge to put us in the best situation uh, for the play that was called. And so I'm sure that in Doug's system, uh, you know, he probably knows that system, uh, you know, as well as Doug, if not better. Like, that's just the kind of dude that he is, the kind of mind that he has for the game.
0: That's a great perspective on Jason Kelce right there. I love it. Julian, what is the mental hurdle, though, like going through 17 roster transactions with the Eagles, including seven cuts? I mean, I can only imagine – how hard you had to work every time you came back, saying like I gotta make it this opportunity last, I gotta make this opportunity last. I can't imagine the what goes through that through your mind, uh, especially during this time, during this pandemic, where most of us, including myself, even got laid off for a little bit. Can you just put us through the mind of a fringe NFL player and what, how t- mentally strong do you have to be to go through that and not you know like if the next day if you're going to have a job or not?
2: So I, I've been told by other guys who were in uh, either similar positions or even guys who weren't in a similar position uh, that they were always really uh, shocked by how well I, I handled that uh, because the back and forth, back and forth, like you as a player, you have a certain amount of control. The the one thing about, uh, about the NFL is that uh, you are, when you are on one of those contracts that is, uh, you know, where they essentially can cut you and bring you back whenever they want to, like, y- you're not really beholden to that team, right? At any point in time, I could have just said, nah, you know, called my agent, been like, listen, I'm done in Philly. Uh, don't think I want to come back here anymore. Uh, let's not accept any more offers uh, to return. And, you know, we'll go find somewhere else to play. Could have done that. Some people argue, should have done that. But to be completely honest with you, it, it, it didn't really phase me all that much. Um, for me, uh, I think that I felt fortunate to have a place to be. Um, I liked Philadelphia. I liked Stout. Um, you know so I wanted to, I wanted to learn from, from Stout. I wanted to keep playing for Jeff Allen. Um, I knew chip system wasn't real keen on, uh, on learning a new system in the middle of the season uh, at that point in time. Uh, and I was coming off of a back injury. So I've just felt fortunate to even have a place where they wanted me. And I remember when they brought me back for the first time, not that not the year that I got cut and released a bunch of times, but after I had the back surgery and then I came back and and we were perfectly well aware, me and the coaching staff everybody, perfectly well aware that I was not going to play anymore that season. Mm-hmm. But the practice squad eligibility left, right? I couldn't because I'd been on practice squad then active or went from active to practice back to active roster. Uh, and I'd spent 2 I'd played too many games on active roster. I could. I didn't have any practice squad left. So, you know, they didn't. They didn't really have an obligation to bring me back. Um, they had said that. Uh, you know that that was something that they wanted to do. But I know the NFL's a business, and that I didn't have to be brought back. That very well could have been the end of it. Um, and when they did bring me back, the first thing that I did was I asked. Uh, you know, Stout, what it was that uh, about me that made, me, made them want to bring me back. And he said that it was, uh, you know, it was the intangible stuff. It, it was that I had uh, a work ethic, um, you know, that I was always willing to put in uh, the hard hours and put in the hard work. Uh, it was that I was a personality guy. They didn't have to worry about me. There were no character issues. Um, I was the kind of guy who would help uh, anybody who needed to be helped, uh, that I'd drag rookies, uh, you know, along with me and help make them better. Um, that I, that I was a hype guy that in the practice field, that, uh, my positive attitude, um, you know, and, and, uh, my work ethic and being willing to kind of, uh, you know, be a guy who would dance to the music and, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 sweat, you know, until I passed out was, were things that they felt like, uh, I brought in that, that were necessary. Um, and so I, I that was always something that I could just kind of, you know, lean on was, well. I may not be as quick as I used to be, right? I may not be able to squat as much as I used to. Um, but at the very least, I've got a place where they know me, they like me, uh, you know, and uh, and I can be a positive influence on the practice field and in the weight room uh, and in the meeting room. And if I can, that was kind of my, I, I was perfectly well aware that last season that that was, that that was going to be it. Um, but, you know, I had friends on that team, some of them younger than me. And I thought, you know, if I can, you know, push some of the information that i have uh if i can you know teach some of these young guys the things that i've learned uh, and help them have longer careers uh then i'm going to stick around here as long as i can do that um and so for me that was you know that was my mentality and i've like i said i've been told by lots of guys uh that they would have just said fuck this you know throwing up the middle fingers uh, packed up their bags and, and left um but i felt like i still had something left to give the city of philadelphia
0: Who was making those phone calls the most to you though? Who who was the guy that you had to, I don't know if your agent was the one who told you, but who, if if anybody was calling you, who was the one saying, Julian Julian, it's time to come back.
2: So they would actually kind of tell me before I left um, that. So that year, uh, when you are the 53rd man on the roster, uh, you are essentially a, you're a tool, right? You're a part of the team. And your job on the team is if someone goes down, like if a starter goes down and they've got to bring in a free agent or a backup at a different position, Mm -hmm. the dude that goes, they bring that guy in. And when the starter's done rehabbing and he can start again, they cut the other guy and they bring you back. So that was, so I was, I knew that that was kind of my role.
0: Mm
2: It wasn't, wasn't uh, a surprise. They would... Let me know, hey, we're going to cut you. You know, so-and-so got hurt. We got to bring in a linebacker. Uh, you know, the medical staff says that his, uh, uh, his rehab is probably going to be about two weeks before he can play again. You know, hang out, go to your apartment, chill for a couple weeks, work out on your own. Uh, you know, two weeks from now, we'll bring you back. So that was probably three or four of those transactions. Um, but towards, you know, towards the end, started to get the feel like, all right, this is starting to get a little old. I think they're probably starting to get a little bit sick of it. Um, you know, this is one of these is probably going to be the last one. Um, and I think I knew when they brought in uh, whoever it was, uh, Stout's old center from Alabama, I knew at that point, uh, you know, that this was, this was the end.
0: All right, Julian. So last thing before I let you go, we, we really went into detail with Jason. So I think you gave the viewers a good insight on him. Anything about Jason Peters? Cause I mean, Jason Peters really wants to play into his forties right now. He's, he's still working out. He, he looked good last year. Uh, Lane Johnson, any good experience stories you can give the viewers real quick before you leave the show? Listen, bring bring Jason Peters back as long as he wants to play. And when oh, he, I agree, I agree with you completely. You know,
2: give, board up part of his uh, part of the the locker room and make it a, a temporary office for him for as long as he wants. I'll tell you what, his his knowledge, his experience, uh, his willingness to work with young players. Uh, regardless of his situation or their situation, the advice that he gives and his ability to bring uh, and to make everyone perform at a higher level around him is invaluable. Even if he can't walk, I'd still keep him on the team just to, just to teach people and give him advice because he, he taught me more stuff. I wasn't even at his position, uh, and I learned more about the NFL from him uh, than anybody else or any experience uh, ever taught me. Um, yeah, bring bring him back as long as he wants to, man.
0: The only issue people have with that is because I don't, I, I'm sure you're aware you still follow the team. I'm sure they drafted Andre Dillard in the first round last year to be their left tackle of the future. Uh, you struggled a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, Jason Pierce played so well last season. The only thing at this point in his career that would probably be his biggest struggle is the false starts. But I would argue age and trying to be quicker than the guy you're, you're lining up against would probably factor into that a little bit more. But uh, I mean. Pierce is a legend in Philadelphia, as you know, and it's great to have like an insight on him on how he helps out other players and is a teacher the way that you're describing right now.
2: Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, he he false starts two out of every three plays. I'm going to let you know that right now. If you slow down the film, mm-hmm. that's that's just part of his game. He First of all, you're not allowed to do that, to be that big and that quick. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody that size move the way that he moves. It's not fair. Uh, I'm super jealous, uh, and I'm kind of angry about it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, yeah, that's just, you know, that's part of his game. The quick get-off, that's part of his game. Uh, you're get, you get—you got to accept that you're going to get a couple of false starts out of him, but at the end of the day, you are a better team with Jason Peters than without him. That's my opinion.
0: Absolutely, and then you, you, you really were there the first early years of Lane Johnson's career. Uh, I, I would Obviously, he was the fourth overall draft pick, so that has to be a good player behind that pick. Coming in, but seeing him grow from when you first saw him to now, uh, what are your thoughts on Lane Johnson?
2: He's great. He's a great dude. He's a good old boy. Um, And uh, I love that he has embraced uh, so much the the role that he has. Uh, Coming in, uh, not going to lie, I thought he was just a goofy dude. Mm -hmm. Athletically gifted, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, but just kind of a, a goofy motherfucker, to be honest with you, and uh, and him and Al Barbary hit it off, and the two and listening to the two of them go back and forth, and then Matt Tobin getting in the mix, arguing over which one of them was a hillbilly, which one was a redneck, and which one was trailer cash. Like the the like those three were peas in a pod, and they were some goofy goofy dudes, but some great football players. And I feel like Lane has really. Uh, embraced the fact that he is that he is a potential future Hall of Famer. That he is a Pro Bowl guy, one of the best offensive linemen in the league. Uh, and his stuff, uh, you know, with his with his off season training program, um, you know, I think he does. Um, was it? Uh, oh, he's got a he's got an O line specific thing. Uh, the mm-hmm. the O line masterminds thing that he's uh, you know been a part of and built from the ground up. Uh, you know, the the character, the Philadelphia character that he's kind of become, like, he really has has evolved and grown, uh, and I love seeing
0: it. Do you think, in your opinion, knowing the offensive line positions and studying the game and being a student of the game like you are, do you think Lane Johnson's the best right tackle in the NFL over guys like Mitchell Schwartz?
1: Um,
2: you know, I'll go on a limb and say yeah. Uh, I think that he's his his ceiling, uh, I think, is is probably the highest uh, of any of the of the right tackles in the game. And there's there's definitely a distinct difference between right tackle and left tackle. Um, but when when it comes to right tackles, I don't I don't know that you've got a guy with a higher ceiling than Lane.
0: Former Eagles offensive lineman Julian Monterbelly joined the show. Julian, thanks so much for coming on, giving us some great insight on Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson and the rest of the offensive line in Philly. Oh, we miss you, man. We miss we miss seeing your name across <laughs> the Eagles' tweets, man. Uh, I I I think once this show launches, people are going to be like, "Oh, there he is! Let's 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 listen to what you got to say." Uh, been a while with Julian, so really great having you on, man. And Philadelphia doesn't forget you.
2: Hey, I still I still expect to get a call for me to come back and, and join the team again any one of these days, just to to push one more. Training. That's
0: what I was gonna say. Is it, is it time to, is it time to <laughs> I mean, Kelsey's getting a little older now. There's retirement talks.
2: That's right. He retires. I'll come back for a day just to, just to, to shake his hand and hang his, his uh, jersey up in the, in the halls of the building, and then I'll be back out on the street again. <laughs>
0: awesome. That'd be awesome. All right, Joey. thanks for giving me your time to come on to the show real quick. Good Good day, got him. Have a great time, man. We'll see ya. you.
2: Too, man.
1: At Freedom Mortgage, Freedom means helping veterans use their homes for better living, whether that be through refinancing your mortgage, accessing cash through your home's equity, or helping you purchase a new home, making home financing a custom fit. That's Freedom. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333, licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing, equal housing opportunity. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.